All right. All right. So if uh, the college students don't return, now I know what to blame. Uh, good job, good job. That was a wonderful music video by the Emmaus staff. They are college ministry uh, ministers. And so it's just, uh, first of all, I just want to, I just want to ask everybody uh, to give two college students a high five. So get up out of your seats, go find them, just give them a high five and just welcome them, give them a hug, whatever. Go find two of them, at least give them a high five, all right? Welcome, welcome, welcome. All right, if you didn't find two, don't worry. I'll find them later. All right, so once again, welcome to especially uh, all of the our returning Emmaus students, as well as we have returning students from Malaysia, the Philippines. Yeah, and uh, other countries. <laughs> we have a lot of, uh, we usually have a lot of UC students from California. I'm sure uh, a lot of new students are maybe from UC as well. We just want to welcome all of you guys. Uh, if this is your first Sunday joining us today, we just want to say that we're so happy to see you. Uh, the Emmaus uh, large group gatherings, they will begin this Tuesday. I'm sure the announcements already went out. Uh, but be sure to show up this Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Uh, out at Loose, not Loose, Wonir uh, Han Hall, which is right behind the Global Lounge. Uh, be sure to go and gather with other college students and just go for God because the Lord, He loves you. He's got a plan for your life. He does not want you to delay that plan any longer. He wants you to live it out to its fullest. Because God's got good plans for you. Hallelujah. All right. Now, uh, today, my message, my message, my message is going to be awesome. And by the grace of God, I will, I have about 30 minutes to preach this message I'm going to preach what I can, and then I'm going to just leave the rest to the Lord. I might go over a little bit. I've been known to do that. But, you know, with the college students here, I'll I'll try to really keep to my commitment. Now, uh, how many of you guys know that God is, he's like us because we're created in his image. But God is also very different. The Bible says he is holy, which means that he is other. He is set apart. But one aspect of God's holiness, him being so set apart, is God's supernatural nature. You know, the only thing that, you know, what we define as natural in our minds, it's loaded. It's confined to the boundaries of what God has created to be predictable order for us in our universe. And so, for example, if it is by God's grace and will that this speaker here, made of plastic and whatever other plastics and metals that are in there, it is by God's will and grace that the molecules of that plastic actually remain predictable. Meaning that when you create one, you can create one again and again and again because you don't have to worry about those molecules kind of rebelling and doing whatever they want. Okay. So we describe that as natural. This is, this is natural. The air we breathe is natural. The things that we see is natural. Hair growing back is natural for most people. Uh, 
many things are natural to us. But did you know that for God, what is natural to Him is so different than what is natural to us? And so that when God sometimes He does things out of His nature, what is very natural for Him to do, we look at it and we think it's weird. We look at it and we get freaked out. We look at it and we get disturbed. Sometimes, you know, whether you like it or not, we all of us, we have a tendency to try to box God in or to put him into our little little takeout box. You know, we want God to fit in there so that we want God to be as predictable as this plastic speaker. We want God as, to be as predictable as your parents, as predictable as your hair growing back. We want God to be predictable because when we can contain God in our minds, then we feel like now we can have a relationship with God. Now we can understand God. But the thing we have to understand about God is, God is so big, so awesome, so huge, that he cannot be contained into any box. Just, was, just when we think that we, can, we have a measure of predictability for God, God can just do something completely unprecedented. Now, the good thing about God is God has revealed his nature to us. So oftentimes we think of physical nature, but what we have to understand about God is he's revealed his nature in terms of his love, his heart, his characteristics. His heart is a heart that burns for justice. He is a God of righteousness. The Bible says his throne is uh, established on righteousness and justice. The Bible says God is love. So God has shown us his nature through his characteristics. And so that part we can get. But when God starts to act in ways that don't really fit into his characteristics, that's when we start thinking, is that you, God? Okay, so let me give you some examples. In Genesis chapter 21, the Bible says the Lord visited a woman named Sarah. And Sarah was promised in her old age that she will bear a son. And it says in verse uh, 1, chapter 21, Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age. Do you know how old Abraham was when he had Isaac, his son? It was 100 years old. Do you know how? Now, now that's not the problem, you know? You know, a 100-year-old man, even today, can probably still have children. You know, you know if things... Things are still working and stuff. You know, he can have children. But we're talking about Sarah. Abraham was 100. Sarah wasn't 30 years old. All right. Sarah was 90. Okay. When you have a child at 90 years of age, that's supernatural. Not only is that supernatural, it was laughable. In fact, Abraham laughed when he first heard the promise, and Sarah also laughed. When, so they named the son Isaac, which in, in Hebrew, it sounds like laughter. That's pretty supernatural. Um, the Bible also tells us in even just the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says that God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. You know, there's a lot of people that try to take the Big Bang Theory and apply it to the Bible. And they say things like, well, Genesis was not meant to be read literally. It's supposed to be read in this kind of mythical or myth way. It's, it's there figuratively to describe how uh, God created the whole world using this big bang and explosions and evolution and microevolution, macroevolution, and, and that's how we all came to be. You know, and um, when I first heard that, when I was living in New York City, I heard that all the time. From Christians, by the way. From pastors, by the way. And I just said, man, why do people do that to the Bible? 
When I read the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, it says God spoke and it was so. Meaning that there were no animals on the earth at that time. God said, let there be livestock. And it was so. All of a sudden, monkeys and zebras and lions, all these animals, according thousands of animals, tens of thousands of animals, just appeared instantly. Now, when you understand that God is supernatural, you don't have a problem with that. But what a lot of liberal theology tries to do is it tries to rob God of his supernatural character. Because they think that science and rationalism and logic can explain everything that goes on. And anything that goes outside of the predictability of science does not exist. And therefore, we have to rationalize the Bible. We have to make the Bible fit our, predictive, fit our box. And so, you know, I just try to look for biblical evidence to kind of refute some of these theories, you know, that... Genesis is not meant to be read literally. Adam and Eve were not literal persons. You know, people will ask me things like, if Adam and Eve were literal, then why is it that we have so many ethnicities? Like, even look inside this room. There's so many ethnicities. There's white, black, Asian, and people who are mixed up in all that. Okay, I don't know. Are there any Indians here today? Indians, Pakistan? Anyway. Why are there so many races if Adam and Eve were literal people? I mean, if Adam and Eve were Chinese, then everybody should be Chinese. Or if Adam and Eve were black, then everybody should be black. Where did all the races come from? That's a good question. Now, I have no idea. <laughs> but once again, I don't have a problem with that because my paradigm is God's supernatural. So somewhere along all the babies that were being born, God's just like, let me just mix it up a little bit. Oh, we got some color now. Yeah, I like that. Let's make them look even more different. Let's hit the eyes. Let's send them east. I don't have a problem with that because God's supernatural. God's supernatural. And I try to look for evidence, you know, if there is even any kind of support to believe this kind of Big Bang plus Genesis, you know, God used the Big Bang and evolution to bring the world into existence theory. And I found the exact opposite. I've presented this before in a previous message. But the, the most powerful evidence that I found is in the New Testament when you read the Gospels. When Jesus refers to Genesis, he refers to Genesis in a literal manner. God created the world in six days. He rested on the seventh. Jesus could have right there explained, actually, a day is a thousand years. A thousand years is a day to God. And God actually, he he took about 10 million years to create the world. Six days is just a figurative language. He didn't say that. He said six days he rested on the Sabbath. That's why we have the Sabbath. But the Sabbath was not made for man. Man was, no, man was not made for the Sabbath. Sabbath was made for man. When he talks about Adam and Eve. The first marriage, right? We often think marriage is a man-made institution. You know, all these cavemen, one day they decided, you know what? This ain't working. We just, you know, shack it up with everybody. This ain't working. We need to create exclusive families between one man and one woman. Let's create an institution called marriage. Let's sign a contract and let's stick by it. And let's create families. No, they didn't, none of that. It wasn't man's idea. Man's idea. It was not man's idea. It was God's idea. And the book of Genesis tells us, for this reason, a man would leave his mother and father and be united to his wife. Right after God created Adam and Eve, God said that. Okay, now check this out. Jesus quotes that literally. Okay, so you have to, you have any, so I want you to look through the Gospels, look through the New Testament, and see how Jesus read Genesis. Jesus read it literally. Now, When you believe that God is supernatural, you don't have a problem with Genesis chapter 1. But when you start kind of going away from that, that's when you start kind of being open to all these different creative theories. Let me give you another example. Don't worry about that, all right? She's just having a good time. The book of Exodus. Now, this is crazy. 
All right, the book of Exodus, God sends Moses into this great nation of Egypt. Egypt was a prospering country at that time. It was like the America of that time. And Moses goes into Egypt and says, all of these millions of Hebrew slaves that Pharaoh you've been using for your own benefit to build all these crazy pyramids, you got to let them go because they belong to God. God says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no way, I ain't going to let them go. So Moses stretches out his staff. Ten plagues hit Egypt. Now you have to understand that these ten plagues were not the result of weather forecast coincidence. You can't, you know, I've seen, you know, and some of my frustration comes out from my seminary classes. I'm reading all of these New Testament essays that are being written today. About the Bible, especially the supernatural elements of the Bible. And a lot of these scholars try to like reason out what exactly happened. That there happened to be a really bad like El Nino back then. And you know, it brought in all these locusts or something like that. And happened to happen the day after the hail came or something like that. You know, they try to reason it all out. Why? Because they're, some of them are not even believers. Some, a lot of them are, actually. Some of them aren't. Whether they are or they aren't, they don't have a paradigm for the supernatural nature of God. Because they try to reason it away. But let me, t- let me describe these plagues. First, it was the water turning to blood. Okay. The entire Nile River, which in that desert was the source of life, turns into blood. And the Bible says it stank. Now, you know. It ain't just food coloring when it starts to stink and the fish in the river start to die. Okay. Second play comes frogs. Not just like a hundred of them, like an army of frogs just comes out of the river and just starts getting on everything. Okay. Next flake. Gnats. No, gnats. Yeah. Gnats. Gnats. You know, you know, the little gnats. And the next is flies, which are bigger gnats. <laughs> next plague, God strikes down all the livestock of Egypt. So, you know, the livestock at that time were equivalent to your car. You know? If you, don't, if you didn't have, you didn't have a, a donkey, you didn't have a camel, you didn't have a mode of transportation. And God just goes through all of Egypt and he just destroys all the Mercedes. Destroys all the BMWs. They don't work no more. They all, they're all messed up. Right? So all the livestock die. Then boils. So, so up until this point, God's just touching everything else, but he didn't touch the actual Egyptians. God says, all right, I'm going to make boils break out on everybody's skin. And people start coming out itching. They're like, what is going on? Yeah, you too? Me too. And then your cousins are all calling. I didn't have phones back then. Uh, they're like, yo, yo, man, I got boils on my skin. How about you? Yeah, man, I'm going with all these boils. Where are this from? <laughs> boils everywhere, okay? Then hail. So by this point, the smart Egyptians are starting to think, man, there's something going on. And so they overheard what was happening between Moses and Pharaoh. So the Bible actually says the smart ones brought in all their slaves from their field. But the ignorant ones just left them. So when the hail came, Every ignorant Egyptian lost their li- all, all their remaining livestock and all their remaining slaves and all their remaining property was destroyed by the hail. Then locusts. You know, God's just cleaning up whatever is left. Just bringing in locusts and locusts just eat up everything. You know, I've never seen, I never encountered a locust until I made a mission trip to Kazakhstan one summer. And man, that summer there was like a wind that came in and all these locusts were everywhere. It was crazy. I mean, they were just flying. They were all over the wall. And then I'm just walking, and they hit my face. I'm like, what the heck is that? <laughs> and it was like, I can't describe it. It's like a grasshopper, but it's more like fleshy. It's more like, um, like a lizardy kind of quality, not just an insect quality. And they got wings. So grasshoppers, you know, they can, they can hop like this. But locusts, they just flash. You can't, like, you can't hit them. And so we just started killing them. 
and little children were killing them with Coca-Cola bottles, and it was nasty. <laughs> they were just dead locusts everywhere. But I'm telling you right now, locusts, they will eat anything. They would just get on you and start eating your skin. They'll start eating your hair. And if you get like 30 of them on you, oh, you better, you better get a Coca-Cola bottle. Because <laughs> they will eat you alive. They're dangerous. Anyway, the locust is coming. Then darkness hits. Darkness. The Bible says darkness so thick, people can feel it. And then the final 10th plague hits. God predicts it and says, I will strike down every firstborn son of Egypt. And whoever wants to be spared of this, you take the Passover lamb and you you take the blood of that Passover lamb, put it against your doorpost, and the angel of death, when he comes through, he will pass over your house, and your firstborn son will be spared. Okay? Ten plagues like that. Now, who was responsible for this? It's not Moses' staff, all right? It is the God who sent Moses to speak to Pharaoh. All those ten plagues, man, they were super natural and how do you i can even point out certain little details of these t- plagues that were supernatural exodus nine twenty six says that when the hail struck all of egypt it says in verse nine twenty six, only in the land of goshen where the people of israel were was there no hail now that is an unusual thunderstorm all right when it only it discriminates Against a geographic area. That's supernatural. Uh, Later on, after these ten plagues, Pharaoh relents and lets the people go. And they start going toward the promised land through the wilderness. As they're on their way, they hit a, a physical landmark that they cannot pass. They come to the Red Sea. All right, And as they're standing before the Red Sea... Pharaoh changes his mind and says, what have I done? I've let all my slaves go. Everything's ruined. And now if I let my slaves go, what am I going to have left? I'm going to go after them. So he starts to pursue these millions of Hebrew family slaves. Like they're all, they, they, are, they don't know how to fight. All they know is how to garden and build pyramids. I don't know. Like, you know, they know how to throw a brick. I don't know. You know, they don't know how to fight. And so they see the Egyptian army coming on their chariots and their horses, and they're just starting to get nervous and freaked out. And God says to Moses, don't you worry about a darn thing. Just stretch out your staff, and the sea will part before you, and you will cross the Red Sea on dry ground. So Moses stretches out his staff, and the Bible says a strong wind came. And start to blow back the waves, the waters, until the Israelites crossed over on dry ground. Now, this is not a river. This is a sea. Think about that. I didn't grow up near a sea, but think of a sea. It's more like an ocean, but it's not like the Atlantic Ocean. That would be crazy. <laughs> that would took them, like, months if they had to cross the Atlantic Ocean. But I think it's something more like an ocean than a lake. You know, this is huge. And, and, you know, I liked um, Prince of Egypt, the animation, because they're, they're crossing over, and then there's these big whales like, on the side. It's like an aquarium, and people, Hebrew kids are like, oh. <laughs> crossing over, right? Now you got to understand, man, the ground was dry, but, man, the ground was probably had all kind of algae. It was like jagged rocks. You know, crabs dying, you know, because they're like, where all the water go? <laughs> Try to grab your feet, you know. No, no matter how you try to put that, that's a supernatural act. The crossing of the Red Sea is a supernatural act. And it is a supernatural God who parted that Red Sea. Now, I want to talk about. The supernatural characteristic of God. Because once again, to us, it's strange. To us, it's out of our grid. But maybe what God wants for us to do is 
not to continue to call it strange and weird and get freaked out every time. Like even here as, you know, Linda is obviously, um, she doesn't have asthma, by the way. <laughs> All right. She's just getting touched by the supernatural power of God. And so she's breathing a little bit heavier than normal. Okay. Even that, people, people, you know, like, especially newcomers, they're all like, what's going on over there? Somebody give her, give her like an asthma thing, you know, like, hey, help her out. What's going on, you know? And, and, and most people who've been here for a while, they're just all listening to my sermon. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's just, that's just Holy Spirit. Okay. Now, I want to point that out because there are people in here that don't have a grid for the supernatural yet. That's why every time God shows up in a supernatural way in your life, it's still weird. But for those who adopt heaven's grid, for those who adopt and accept God for who he really is, and all of this predictable and unpredictable nature, when you adopt God's supernatural grid, you stop calling it weird. And you begin to celebrate what God does. Because although visually you don't know what's going on if you investigate you might find that god's doing a powerful work in that person's heart god could be physically healing that person's body so uh let me teach you something right now for those who got this lesson good hear it again for those who've never heard it listen okay the bible says that god is everywhere meaning that there is nowhere in the world you can go where you can escape his presence. So even if you lock up your door and you think nobody's watching as you're looking through websites you shouldn't be looking at, okay, you're actually not escaping God's presence because you locked that door. God's right up in there in that closet with you. He's like, what you looking at? Hey, oh, look at that. What are you doing? God is right there with you because he is omnipresent. Okay, so that's called the omnipresent. Everybody say omnipresence. Okay, there's God's omniscient. That means he's all-knowing. God is omnipotent, meaning he's all-powerful. God's omniscient, meaning he is everywhere. Okay. Now, although he is everywhere, we are not always aware of his presence. Most of the day, we are not actually aware of his presence. So what God will do sometimes is he will, what, he, what we call, manifest his presence to you. To show you that he's right there with you. And he does this in a variety of ways. Um, one of, some of the more supernatural weird ways in which he does this is. He'll touch people. And they begin to shake. And it's not like they, they have like a physical condition or anything. They're just shaking. Right? And people are like, why are they shaking? Okay? It's because... It's like they're touching electricity. If you touch electricity, you would shake, right? Like, you ever look at a microwave? You pop your food in and you press start. You don't see anything. You notice? You don't see anything, but your food starts to boil and start cooking. Okay? Microwaves are invisible. <laughs> Duh. Well, if you, if you, if you are smart enough to believe that microwaves are invisible, okay? Here's another little revelation for you. All right? God's presence is also invisible. Okay? But what it can do at times, God can choose to manifest that presence to you in a way that you will remember. And so he'll make somebody shake. He'll make somebody cry. And we're not telling you any sad story up here. Like when we're praying for these two girls up here, we didn't tell them, you know, and then uh, the grandmother died. <laughs> oh! We weren't telling those sad stories. We're just speaking, uh, speaking what we felt like God's spirit was revealing for them. And what did they do? They just started crying with the grappling tissues for them. Okay. God, when he touches you, you know, sometimes you, you would just be, you ever worship God? You're just in praise time. Some of you might experience this today. You're just praising the Lord and and you're just, just praising God and you're trying to look at the lyrics and all of a sudden you start crying. And you're like, I can't see the lyrics, Lord. <laughs> you just keep crying. I'm like, why am I crying? What's wrong with me? And then the newcomer next door, next to you is like, what's wrong with her? <laughs> Strange girl crying. 
What is that? What is that? We will call that his manifest presence. It's when he takes his omniscience and then he takes this omniscience that fills up the entire universe and he says, I'm right here with you intimately. Everyone say manifest presence. And by the way, a big key to experiencing the manifest presence of God is not just praying about it and waiting for it. A lot of Christians think, man, I just got to pray and tarry and wait until it comes. Okay. One big key to experiencing the manifest presence of God is in the ministers that you invite and how you honor them. Let me say that again. It's in the ministers you invite to your church or your retreat to minister plus how you see them and honor them. If you're able to honor them for what gifting they hold, that gifting will come and minister to you. If you despise them and just think of them and only see them on the outer appearance, all you will get is a sermon that you probably won't remember. It's a prayer that you probably will forget. The key to his manifest presence for you to really seek and experience his manifest presence is in the Gifted ministers that God has given to the body of Christ and in the way you honor those gifted ministers. Um, so let me um, give, you some, give you some examples. Uh, a few years ago, I went to a conference. I won't name what, what it was, but there was a minister there. I won't name who he was. And he was just preaching just like me. And as he was preaching... People in the audience just started laughing. (laughs) And the speaker is particularly, you know, very calm. Doesn't really tell many jokes. So I was like, what is up? There's there's nothing that's funny. Why are they laughing? And then it wasn't just like one person. It was like another person. And then the areas where the laughter broke out, like all of the ajumas that were sitting in that area, they will all start laughing together. And then the laughter will go over here. And so it got to a point where I'm like, this is distracting. Can these ushers go and tell these people to shut up? I want to hear the sermon. But what I noticed is the, the, the guest speaker, he just kept on preaching. And he just like, and sometimes, actually he paused for a moment and it was like, he was like, oh, we bless what you're doing. <laughs> they used to laugh even more. Okay, now. Some of you may have heard of this phenomenon. It's called holy laughter, right? Now, there are people that believe holy laughter is completely just of the flesh. It's just people making it up because they have insecurities and they want nothing but attention. So they find that during a sermon, it's the best time to get some attention. So let me laugh my head off. (laughs) Look at me. I'm insecure. Okay. That is the theory that a lot of people believe. They think it's sensationalism, emotionalism, it's of the flesh. And let me tell you something. Sometimes it is, actually. Okay? Sometimes it is. Or they believe it's of the devil. The devil is trying to distract the sermon by tickling these people. (laughs) All right? And so people dismiss holy laughter. And even myself, when I was growing up in youth group, my youth pastor um, had been to the Toronto Airport Church where a lot of this was going on almost every day. And he visited and he came back and he was like, you know, I think God is doing some things there. But, you know, all this holy laughter stuff, I just think it was just a big distraction. It wasn't edifying. So I don't think those things are from God. I don't think that's a true revival. And so in my young mind, in my impression of mind, I actually shut myself off to those things. And I was like, those things aren't God. Right? And so... I came here to Korea, and I started going to some, visiting some of these conferences, and I started seeing it. And what calmed me down was the reaction of the preacher. The preacher didn't stop his sermon and go, oh, there's some holy laughter, everybody. Look at the holy laughter. Oh, observe the holy laughter. That's Holy Spirit. Now, he didn't even do that. He just kept preaching. Right? And then I, saw, I started researching on the Internet, and I came to this uh, uh, website. Uh, called Revival.com. All right, I, I can name this guy, right? This guy named South African called Ronnie Howard Brown. And people called him the laughing preacher, something like that. He had all these articles written about him to try to slander him, but they kept calling him the laughing preacher. Because what would happen in many of his services is 
he would just be preaching and people would start laughing everywhere. And so there was this one um, revival he did in Minnesota. A lot of videos on his website, revival.com. And there's one in Revi- revival he did in Minnesota. And there's all these well-dressed three-piece suit men. And they're sitting all in the front. And I, you can tell they're like pastors from Minnesota, maybe some like well-known pastors and stuff. You know, they're all sitting there very dignified. And as Rodney starts to preach, people start laughing. So Rodney, he doesn't laugh. He just keeps preaching with a, like a stern face on his, uh, look on his face. And then they get so overwhelmed by the manifest presence. They start getting up out of their seats and they look like they're drunk. Now what ends up happening, there's a second level in this auditorium. And you can hear all of this laughter by young people on the second level. So my guess is that's their youth pastor. And it's the youth that are up there. And they're getting a kick out of seeing their youth pastor, who's normally dignified, acting like he's drunk at the front of the stage. So he's just like this. And he's just like, yeah, make this stop, make this stop. And Ronnie Howard Brown just comes up to me and says, Does this, what do you feel right now? And he's just like, I don't know. I don't know. And he's just laughing and crying, laughing. And so Ronnie Howard Brown just says, fire. And boom, they just fall to the ground. Doesn't even touch him. So I'm like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> then he picks out other people from the crowd. There's more people laughing all over the room. Tells, tells gentlemen, he just does it like this. He doesn't even go up to them. He says, man in the yellow, stand up right now. The Holy Spirit's all over you. And the man in the yellow gets up. And then he goes, man in the yellow is like, uh, yeah. And, and then all of a sudden, fire! And man in the yellow flies back. I'm like, that is so fascinating. I mean, they collaborated really well, or there's something supernatural going on. Now, when you grow up all your life in church and God doesn't do any of these things, you start to think, man, God's just not interested in doing that. Or you start to think, man, if, if that does happen, that must not be God. Because the God that I know growing up in my Presbyterian church, he didn't do stuff like that. And so, you know, I'm just here to say that that's my story. If that's your story, I identify with you. You know, our church is uh, what some outsiders would call a very charismatic church. If you didn't know that, that's what people call our church. (laughs) But none of us grew up in a charismatic church. That's the thing. Most of us in here, how many? uh, At ETL1, there's a lot more. But here, there's very few people that grew up in a Pentecostal or charismatic church. There's like two people in the back, yeah. All of us grew up with God the Father, God the Son. We love Jesus. We love the Father. God the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit was that uncle that you didn't want him to come. You didn't want him showing up to the family gathering. Because he'll drink too much liquor and start saying all kinds of stupid, weird things. Like, that's the way... A lot of us treated the Holy Spirit. We're like, we just don't talk about him. We pretend. We thank him for the things that he does do that we like and we're comfortable with. But the other things he does, we heard him or he's attributed to doing. Yeah, we don't want that. And so. uh, So let me just describe. There's a extreme, right? One extreme is called cessationism. And it comes from the English word to cease. All right, by the way, if you guys are going to blog about it, if you guys are going to put it on your wall, spell it right. <laughs> Please. Okay? All right, traditionally, it is spelled C-E-S-S-A-I-A-T-I-O-N. I-S-M. <laughs> Cessationism, right? To cease, right? So there are, in one extreme, there's... Uh, a lot of well-meaning Christians that believe that the, they believe the Bible. They believe that God did all those things in the Bible, like the plagues, also in the New Testament, the miracles, you know, all those things. They believe it, but they believe that it has ceased, meaning that God used to do those things when there was no Bible. But when the Bible was canonized and put together and collected and started getting distributed, God had no need of supernatural phenomena any longer. And God was like, you know what? Supernatural phenomena has given me a bad reputation. 
People think I'm weird. So I'm going to stop doing that now that I have a Bible that you can learn about me from. Okay? And so they believe that with the canonization of the Bible, that the gifts of the Holy Spirit have ceased and the supernatural workings of God have all ceased. Okay? Now, let me describe that. That's here. That's this guy right here. He's a cessationist. We got the guy in the middle. The middle guy I will call the tolerant moderate. The tolerant moderate. This guy does not believe in cessationism. He's actually very open to spiritual gifts. He believes in the gift of prophecy. He believes in supernatural phenomena. He even is open to seeing a little holy laughter here and there. Okay. But his attitude is one where he tolerates it rather than celebrates it. And there's a big difference. Some of them will say, I'm open but cautious. When, you start, when they start using language like that, you know that you're talking to, uh, you're talking to a tolerant moderate. Now, uh, I believe that these guys, they pick and choose what they attribute to God according to their level of comfort. So they say, that's God, that's God, that's not God, that's not God, that's the God. And the, their determining factor is their level of comfort. It's not the Bible. It's their level of comfort. Now, we got over here, we got New Philly. Okay. okay. New Philly... We believe that we don't want to just tolerate the supernatural character of God. We want to celebrate it. Why? Because when God does things that are supernatural, it's amazing. It's good. You know, when a girl goes down, what some people get called get slain in the spirit, getting body slammed in the spirit, falling out under the spirit, you know, whatever you want to call it. Man, I don't know what I want to call it, right? But when a person falls down on the ground, by the power of God, nobody pushed them. When they're on that ground, they're crying and they're shaking. What on the outside looks like just a girl on the ground shaking, a a guy on the ground shaking. On the inside, Holy Spirit is actually setting them free from a disease. Or if you investigate and interview them later, they actually tell you a testimony of how they saw certain visions when they were on the ground. And God spoke to them. And next thing you know, they got healed of depression. Actually, that's the testimony of Aaron's mom. When we were getting, when we got engaged, we had some family trouble. And uh, there were some misunderstandings. Okay, uh, Aaron's parents weren't completely supportive of our, uh, marriage, uh, going, our relationship going toward marriage initially. And so her, his, her mom was taking it very hard. And then she ended up going to a revival service with this pastor, this Korean pastor from Yoida Sumbumyue. And he called her out of the crowd and prophesied over her, which is also supernatural, by the way. And says these things that are very true of her that she didn't share with this pastor. And as he's saying these things over her, she falls to the ground. And the reason why I'm able to describe it in such detail is because we saw a video of it on the Internet. There's this church, and they posted a video of it. So we watched the video, and later on, we hear the follow-up testimony. And Aaron's mom shares and says that when she fell to the ground, the power of the Holy Spirit came upon her, and light, like visual light, just started flooding her senses. And she had been struggling for years with depression. Even though she's serving at church, and everyone thinks she's doing well, she was actually really depressed. And this light, she said, flooded her whole being. And the next thing you know, it just drove out the depression. And now any psychologist will tell you that's not possible. You don't, you, you need Prozac, you need counseling. You need to go through, you know, thousands of hours of psychiatric help to get really healed of, uh, or delivered from depression. Okay? That's what a psychologist will tell you. That's not what God would say. God would say, I could, I could do that. But I could do it quicker. You want to see? I'm just going to take a flashlight and boom. Shine light all around her. Light, light, light. And she's healed. Why? That's a supernatural act. And so here at New Philly, we don't just tolerate God's supernatural character. 
his supernatural activity, we celebrate it. Whenever we see the supernatural acts of God, we don't go, whoa, that was weird. I'm glad that's over. I hope he doesn't do that again. Like a tolerant moderate might say. No, we say, Lord, we bless what you're doing. We're not sure what you're doing. And sometimes it still weirds us out a little bit. We may not understand it all, but we bless what you're doing, Lord. Keep doing it, God. And whenever these supernatural activities of the Holy Spirit start showing up, especially in a big mass revival, people generally, when it starts to break out on a very high level, they start feeling unsafe. Because they can tell that sometimes it is somebody just doing it out of the flesh next to them. The neighbors, there are just, you know, making all kinds of noise. But they can tell it's not the Holy Spirit. Or somebody, another neighbor, and they're actually needing deliverance because there's all kinds of evil spirits that are tormenting them. And they may not feel safe. And then the answer some people would say is, let's just throw it all out. Because we can't, we can't, this is not predictable. This is, we can't box this in, so let's throw it all out. And so they end up killing the movement that God has started. But that's not what we talk, what we read in the book of Acts. Okay? The answer for the super, when the supernatural manifestation of God starts to show up in greater degrees, the answer is not to just get rid of everything. The answer is to appoint leaders, spiritual authorities with discernment that are going to shepherd that movement. Because here's, here's a little revelation about revival. When revival gets sparked, it's, you know, when a revival is birthed, it's not birthed as a 40-year-old adult. Revivals are birthed in infancy. And it takes good Christian leaders, good Christian communities to nurture that revival to maturity. And as it matures, it has a citywide, nationwide effect. You know, Satan loves to attack movements in their infancy before they grow bigger. And one thing Satan does is if he can't stop it in its infancy and it continues to grow bigger and more mature, what he will do is he will make sure it doesn't get passed down from one generation to another. And one thing you will notice about historic revivals in Christianity is almost all of them is only lived out to one generation. Never gets passed down. You know, but when we see the Bible, we see Elijah and Elisha and Elisha understands that what Elijah has, he's got to get it. So he will not let Elijah go. And so Elijah finally, as he's taken up into heaven, you know, in a whirlwind, which is also supernatural. God releases that mantle and gives to Elisha a double portion so that Elisha goes around doing double the number of miracles that Elijah did. That's a picture of generational transfer. But a lot of times revivals don't last that long because Satan attacks with division, dissension, and he divides. All right. So I just want to end with this. Okay. What I'm trying to say is the term charismatic is a little loaded, meaning that there's Christians out there that call certain movements, certain churches charismatic, and the other churches are normal. I'm here to submit to you that according to the Bible that I read, God is supernatural. That's his nature. And if we are his people, then that should be our nature. And so the term charismatic should not be used to describe churches that are, you know, moving the Holy Spirit. No, we should just, what, what, what I want to submit to you today is New Philly is just a normal Christian church. We're not a charismatic, Pentecostal, super uh, spirit-filled Christian church. We're just a normal church. This is normal Christianity is what I'm trying to tell you today. And what Satan has delivered into your hands is uh, the abnormal version of Christianity. When you think this is the normal version of Christianity, and whenever real Christ, the normal Christianity shows up, you get all freaked out and you hold on to whatever version of Christianity you have. What I'm telling you today, 
Read your Bible. Understand that God is supernatural and God is still supernatural. And if you look around the fastest moving moving uh, Christian movements on the earth today, they are all what people will call a charismatic movement or a Pentecostal movement. You know why? Because you can't have growth without the Holy Spirit. You can't have maturity without the Holy Spirit. And I said, let me close with this earlier, but I'm going to close with this now. I'm close. I'm really close. I'm, let, me, let me close it here. Let me close it here. Jesus was supernatural. When you read the Gospels, what does he do? He walks on water. Now, I, in my New Testament studies, the people were trying to say, oh, there was like um, a strange weather occurrence that day. And he was actually walking on the beach. And the disciples thought he was walking on water, but he was actually walking along the beach. And then the water kind of receded and it came already shallow near the boat and he was able to jump on. I don't know, that's some weird, stupid theory like that. Man, shut up. <laughs> the Bible says he walked on water and I believe it. Because he's supernatural. He does things like that. The Bible says he fed 5,000. And that doesn't count the women and children. So if every man had uh, his wife and maybe one or two children with him, he really fed about 20,000 people. 15, 20,000 people. That's a lot of people to feed with five loaves and two fish. That's supernatural, y'all. And everybody didn't get like a little piece of fish and a little bit of bread. And say, oh, we, we, Jesus fed all of us. Hallelujah. Oh, Jesus, you're amazing. No, people were eating and eating. They didn't even know that it came from five loaves and two fish. Supernatural. He healed the lame. He made the blind see. Let me tell you about the greatest supernatural miracle that Jesus ended with. He died and he rose again. You're telling me you get freaked out by somebody shaking on the ground or somebody speaking in tongues or somebody shaking on the ground? Oh, laughter, holy laughter. Somebody starts holy laughter or somebody starts heaving over here. You're like, man, that just freaks me out. You know what will freak you out? The resurrection of Jesus Christ will freak you out. That's supernatural right there. If you accept the resurrection, what I'm trying to tell you is you already accepted all this charismatic stuff. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask the praise team to come up and sing that song, My Soul Sings, because I really like it. <laughs> All right, I'm going to ask everyone to just stand. And we're going to just close with this song of worship. Come on.